This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to episode 130 of the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. On the podcast, we've recently been doing a series of church planting mistakes where Tim and Matt Simmons talk about mistakes that they've made along the way. In this episode, we're talking about the topic of contextualisation and how overthinking it can sometimes slow you down as you're planting a church. You can find the full notes on everything that Tim and Matt say at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 130. So here is Tim and Matt Simmons. Cool. Well, welcome to the Broadcast Church Planning uh, podcast. Um, we're talking about mistakes we've made in church planning. My name is Tim Simmons from Christ Church Manchester. I'm with my brother, Matt Simmons from Liberty Church Amsterdam. And today we want to talk about uh, a mistake um, that has been made. Uh, and you can observe in church planners and perhaps we've made this ourselves. Um, I like how this podcast has morphed actually from our own mistakes into just observing other people's mistakes. I, I feel like I'm going to occupy some moral high grounds that I might quite enjoy. Um, but anyway, so and today I wanted we can talk about contextualization. OK, and the, the mistake being that um, we overthink contextualization to the point of making you slightly inert uh, and stopping you from doing things or, or making causing you to make mistakes and even not thinking about the right things uh, as you contextualize. Um, so even thinking about your family life and your, your own personality and leadership style uh, and thinking about how you contextualize for mission, overthinking that and how you lead others as well. Um, so, so, Matt, it, it, explain this to us a little bit. How how do church planters over contextualize? Yeah, I, I think it's it's definitely something that happens because contextualization is one of in the last, I don't know, 10, 20 years has become this quite kind of uh, hip, trendy thing that, that church partners talk about. It, it's become a, an issue that people really want to really want to get into, and lots of popular books and famous preachers talk about it. So we feel that, I guess you just feel motivated that you need to do it, and then you kind of, when you plant, you then stumble around with it a little bit. So when it comes to, I particularly found when it came to people, partly because I was in, in a setting where I was leading lots of people from different cultural backgrounds to me, it meant I was overthinking it all the time because I was thinking, oh, well, they're, they're, I, would, I wouldn't lead them probably a bit more naturally and normally because I'd be making excuses. You know, they're thinking like that. They're, they're doing this because of X cultural reason. So I was kind of over-contextualizing all, all the time and 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 not really hearing what was actually going on and not really leading people's hearts and motivations, but more kind of surface things instead. So it was just, it was not even over contextualization. It was probably just weak, poor contextualization where I just wasn't thinking clearly about what was actually going on in people. So there's a kind of a pastoral angle, but then there's definitely a big missional thing where we just, I think it's an issue of like oversteer and understeer. Sometimes you lean too far into it um, and you actually then uh, you, you, you lead off in a, in, a, in a way that might even not be biblical, really, because you're just 
striving into what you think is going to work in the culture. And then there's an understeer thing where you, you kind of lean too far the other way and don't, and don't push into it. Okay. Well, this is another way of framing the question then. Do you think that um, the emphasis on contextualization, which you've talked about as um, very helpfully often come forward in the last 10, 15 years, thinking of books like Centre Church and um, by uh, Keller and, and other kind of issues around how we contextualize. Do you think that the emphasis for church leaders and planters on contextualizing makes them far too pragmatic and uh, decouples them from having faith in what God has told them to do? Not necessarily makes them too, there's definitely an issue that makes them too pragmatic. I think it probably makes people too um, too cautious, perhaps. So maybe that, that would be a, 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 some pragmatism in there. But we we can, we can just often overread what's what's going on um, and and sp- spend too much time trying to. We feel like we're there's the kind of oh, what's the Stetzer book breaking the missional code. We kind of take that approach to it, which is a good way to think about it. But we we feel like we're we're trying to break the enigma code that there's this immense riddle in front of us that we've got to navigate our way through all the time, and it can be a bit crippling because you you end up. Um, not really going anywhere because you're, you're constantly every boundary you come up against, you read it through that contextual lens and you think, well, this is a problem because of all these issues that I need to kind of solve and work through. And you're right. You then you're robbed of some faith to just say, well, actually, this is just what God's called us to do. So we're going to go in, in this way. Um, and you you can be um, if you're not careful, you're just it means you're second guessing yourself all the time as a leader. You're just not decisively pushing forward because you're always having to try and interpret everything through this contextual grid, which just means you end up going in circles all the time. Can you give us an example? Um, Yeah, I think one thing would be around. I think an issue for some churches is around venue. Um, So we most church plants will start in someone's home. Yeah. Um, but you can, you can both under-contextualize that and over-contextualize that. Yeah. So, because in, in some, there's lots of popular writing today about the kind of house church movement. Yeah. That doesn't, I don't think that works, in, particularly yeah. in some parts of Europe, because yeah. people don't want to come into people's homes. Yeah. Um, but then you're, you're then a bit stuck when you plant a church. Yeah. Because you think, well, no one's going to come into my house, but where on earth are we are we going to are we going to meet them? Because we can't afford to get a venue. We don't have enough people to get a venue. So I think I found that tripped us up a little bit because I was aware we were meeting in our home. I was thinking none of us, none of this team here are probably going to feel confident to invite anyone in. You know, I'm not sure I want anyone. You know, I'm not going to put my address on the internet just for anyone to turn up to you. Uh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So then you're you're stuck in this thing. So in the end, we had to then just say well we're going to meet monthly somewhere just to kind of try and break out of this thing but you're it's actually quite a, a, i think a decision like that is actually just quite a simple decision you know we just need to find someone else to meet um you know we can only really make it work once a month or once a term but we've just got to do it so let's do it but i got a bit crippled by it by overthinking oh but contextually blah 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 blah, blah. 
Yeah. Whereas actually it wasn't a contextual issue, it was just a plain leadership growth issue. It was a you issue, wasn't it, really? It was what was going on in your head more than in your city. And that, when yeah. people talk about contextualization, they and even like you know, like you talked about like the house church thing and how you kind of there's a the way you structure your ecclesiology, the, the way you kind of organize things. And um, no people rarely take into account the leader of the thing. So house church movements can be very successful in our in our cultural context, um, but it, it's much more dependent on the type of leader and leaders and their vision than we like to own up to. Um, and not everybody can do that in the same way. There's I couldn't lead a church. Uh, you know, we, we've got good friends, the two of us who lead churches over a thousand people. I think it sounds like my worst nightmare. I think I'd die or, or other people would die. It would be terrible. And so there's you, you have to contextualize yourself as well. Yeah. So uh, going into a city. Like you know, let's say we go to a city like Manchester um, has the city centre is very vibrant, like, like Amsterdam, big club scene, big scene for music, uh, big scene for hipsters and entrepreneurs from 18 to 25, just right in the centre, huge scene for it. In reality, I turned up into the city in my early 30s with a young family and we thought about, oh, should we live in the city centre? And we could have done it, but it would we wouldn't have made very much work at all for us as a family or I think planting a church at that stage. Actually, ironically, now the kids are old, we probably make a better go of it now, but um, then it would just never have worked. But that was an, an actual contextualized decision. I don't think I realized it at the time, but thinking actually we're going to live in Levenshulme, which is a, a, a suburb of Manchester, which has a lot more young families. Actually people that Vicky works with live in similar places. So that's, where we're going to find our uh, kind of non-Christian friends and that's where we're going to impact the city. Um, and so you can think in quite grand terms, but in reality, you have to think about what you can personally pull off. Do yeah. you not think? Yeah, no, I think you're really right that a lot of, it's a very easy mistake to make that we, we when we think about contextualization in terms of mission, what a lot of people do and what we can do is, you just take someone else's good idea and map it onto your own city and say, well, their city is kind of like our city. Yeah. Um, so it will work. And that, that, that might work, but you're right. You, you completely miss the fact that that person is a totally different leader from you. Uh, or or even, even if they're the same leader, they might have a totally different team from you. Yeah. So you're not going to be able to pull it off with the people that you've got. Yeah. So I, I think on the other hand as well, it's, um, when you do that, you, you don't – cities are alike, and there are global trends to be aware of in, when you're contextualizing. So particularly cities like Amsterdam, Manchester, London, New York, Paris, Berlin, there's certain things. But a lot of that probably might affect how you preach. But I think in terms of the more nitty-gritty – evangelism or more nitty-gritty even just church life the reality is cities are really complex particularly these big global cities like nobody's got the same story there isn't a typical Amsterdam everyone's got a different background so then contextualization requires it's just a lifelong journey of getting to know the city and getting to know people and thinking how they tick all the time and that's not 
I think that's that, that, that's kind of the oversteer understeer thing. We don't realise actually we need to do a lot more of it rather than a lot less. Good. Um, again, I thought I had a question, but it's left me. Um, <laughs> so, in contextualising, because um, you've now planted and you are up to, up to nearly two hundred adults by the sounds of it. No, um, not quite that much. Two hundred, about one hundred eighty people total. Yeah, right. I was giving you an extra twenty people there. I right? just, I should have. I was if trying to be. Safe was going the other way. I would not have said anything. I'd have just taken it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm counting people who may have children in the next two years. That's what I'm counting. And people who will visit us on Sunday, but haven't yet visited. And um, yeah. So into what's your next kind of contextualized decision, I suppose, in terms of, you know, what you guys as a church do next, whether it's planting or um, some you know, mission initiative or uh, home group stuff, whatever. What, what's the, what's the thing you're thinking about at the moment? Yeah, so we, we're thinking about we're, we're kind of filling up our venue, so we've got to think about multiple services. So we're, we're trying to think through. Again, it becomes is it is it just a straightforward leadership decision? Like we just need to multiply services. Yeah. Job done, and it's just practically what's the best way to do that, or is it a a, a missional thing where we think how are we how are we going to best reach a whole bunch of people that we're not reaching at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you know, do we need a a service that contextualizes our message in a, in a different way to reach people that we're not we're not reaching? And what would that look like? Um, I guess at the moment I'm not. I, I guess I'm probably leaning to the latter way, but the same. I don't want to make the silly mistake where we we come up with this brilliant idea, but actually we forget just to do the straightforward leadership thing and actually push the church forward. Um, so that's, that's probably one we, we're chewing over at the moment. Do you think most of your uh, knowledge about uh, contextualising to Amsterdam is learnt from trying something and getting it wrong? Uh, no, I, I think, well, yes, yeah, definitely. I think most of the stuff I've learnt which has been most helpful is actually just getting, it's just talking to people. Yeah. That's the reality. Like, I, I'm... I read as much as I can about the city. Like anyone who's ever written a book about it, particularly from any kind of sociological angle, I'll read any kind of article on the internet, anything I'll, I'll read that tries to give me a bit of a picture of what the city is like. But when you actually talk to people and hear how they think, um, so what the fascinating thing here is how people process even just Christian terminology. Uh, so people, if you, People would often ask me, is your church Catholic or Protestant? Which no one in England would ever ask me that question. Yeah. And they're not actually asking a doctrinal question about justification by faith or anything like that. They're asking a question, a cultural question about are, are you those kind of more puritanical legalistic Protestants or are you those those Catholics where there's some religious ceremony, but it doesn't really affect life? <laughs> They're, they're asking a cultural question and, the, and, and also a geographical question because the northern half of the country is more Protestant and the southern half is more is more Catholic. So I was it was only when when talking to people that you figure out what on earth they're actually asking when they ask that that question. Yeah. And you can read all sorts of articles, but you've got to, when you get in people's lives and figure out, oh, that's what you mean. Oh, I get it now. So that's definitely where we've learned the most is just getting to know people, really. 
Yeah, it's very interesting. What was the? How did you find it moving from Birmingham to to Manchester? Because they're two. They're not that far apart. Were they? Did you find it quite different in? Just yeah, but on, on the face of it, they're very similar cities. Um, but actually, I mean, we did nine years in Birmingham and then nearly ten years in Manchester now. Um, we've realised that they're on some things miles apart from each other, uh, and it's really interesting. Um, the, I mean, uh, ethnically, actually, Birmingham is, m- I think, much more diverse um, than uh, Manchester, um, much more so. And, and that has a, 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 seems to have a deeper effect on the city, uh, I think. Um, but, uh, I mean, this is just from my memory of Birmingham. And last time we drove through it, I mean, the, the city centre had changed was becoming almost rec- unrecognisable. It's the same in Manchester over 10 years. The buildings are going up all over the place. Uh, but there is a sense of the attitude of people in the city was just, I couldn't quite put my finger on it for a while. Um, and then in, in Manchester about, oh, about eight years ago, um, there were some riots around the city centre. Um, and the next day, loads of people turned up with uh, brooms and brushes um, just totally spontaneously and started cleaning up the city centre. Just uh, And uh, because I'm quite an avid user of Twitter, and Twitter back then, it's less so now, gave you a real kind of hint of what the city was like. And there were loads of people, young people, who, who were relatively upwardly mobile uh, and um, often in creative industry and all of that sort of university students were just mortified that this was happening in their city, and that the next day they would go and they would clean and make the place look nice again. Um, whereas I never encountered anything like that in Birmingham. Um, I, I found that Birmingham people would, would they would never let anyone else um, be mean about Birmingham. They'd be quite defensive um, because deeply down they did love their city. But uh, the, the flip side is they would totally tear apart the city and moan about it as well. Uh, I encountered that quite a lot. Whereas in Manchester, you are there is a lot more kind of, outward civic pride arrogance even about their city and a lot of that is based around the the kind of um the the musical boom and the art and the design boom in the late 80s and into the 90s Uh, and a lot of the people that were involved in that are still in the city but in more senior jobs now Uh, and so they actually have quite an effect i think on the city is quite interesting so it you just realize that you have to talk about your city in a certain way so you have to be being positive about Manchester actually has to be part of your narrative. And, yeah. and so that actually affected how we're preaching in that it's often quite easy to stand up and say, this is wrong with you people. You need to change. Um, but there was an instant defensiveness to that stuff. Um, and so you had to, you, you had to think actually uh, we need to go after all the things that are positive uh, and highlight them a lot as well and, and make the narrative much more about serving the city and, and loving the city more. That, yeah, that was really interesting for us. Fascinating, really. No, that's a, that's a really good point. I noticed it when I moved from Bedford to Brighton, that in Bedford it's quite rare to come across people who are, who are proud of, of living there. There are definitely some. I mean, you should be proud, really, should you? No. <laughs> Whereas in Brighton, people genuinely, on the whole, people enjoy living there. They're really proud of the city. So I noticed it going into people's homes. People would often have pictures, photos of the city, um, just different iconic places in the city all around their home, which you didn't really get that in Bedford. 
I know my mum and dad had a picture of the river, but, you know, it was a painting because if you took an actual photo, it would look rubbish. Yeah. That's kind of how it, how it is. So you're right, you have to, to – it, it's very easy, like in Amsterdam, to talk about the evil vices of the city and kind of cool down hellfire. But actually people – People love the city, so that they'll kind of be like, hold on a second, we, we really enjoy living here. Yeah. So I think you have to yeah, emphasise that a lot, for sure, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it'd be quite easy in uh, Manchester to, to you know, to talk about the, the club scene in the city centre. The, the, there's a big um, uh, gay club scene as well. Um, it'd be easy to talk about that, to talk about the drinking, the drug taking, the homelessness issue now in the city centre, to really go after those things. But people get defensive very quickly. Um, uh, it's really interesting. It's funny, isn't it, how, how actually cities can click with that. But the small town mentality is a, is a different thing entirely. So you have to take a few steps back. Yeah, um, yeah I think yeah. Like where Keller talks about like A and B doctrines, you know, and kind of floating in them on, on one another it's kind of a similar principle that you you can talk about the injustices in the city and the issues but you also you have to have it in a context of we, we genuinely love this city and we want to serve it and lots of things that you know i enjoy living here but what about this issue i think that's people want to hear that because they're concerned about the social injustices in the city as well yes yeah. also if you're a planter there's a good chance you've moved into the city so you look a bit of a Johnny come lately, don't you? I've, I've turned up here. I really know what you people need uh, and what, what I've bought, what is good for you people. And, and up until my arrival, you hadn't worked it out, um, which actually is quite offensive to other churches in the city. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a whole other mistake of a podcast. Yeah. Um, but yeah, actually even you know, to move into an area and pretend you know about it more than people who've lived there their whole lives. Um, actually, there's a, a humility in doing contextualization properly in that really you're saying you're happy to sit and listen. Yeah. I think that's probably the key skill that you have to learn as a church partner when it comes to contextualization is, is, is a humility to learn and listen. Um, I think it's probably quite important when you first start, not just to other church leaders, but that's definitely part of it. It's to say, look, I don't, we don't really know what we're doing here. Like, so people would ask me often other church leaders would ask me what our strategy is. Well, when we started anyway, what's your strategy going to be? And I would try and answer quite honestly and say, well, we've got a few ideas, but we don't really know because we don't really know what the city's like. You know, we don't really know how to reach people here. Yeah. And in a way, I kind of hope that's slightly still our answer is, well, we're just learning. Like, we tried a few things. We'll try a few more things. But it's, it's we want to keep being humble and learn from people and, and listen rather than in a kind of an arrogant, I've read Centre Church, so therefore churches didn't look like this. Could you honestly? Could you finish Centre Church? Could I, I read it twice, Tim. Have you twice? Yeah. I've started it four times. That's <laughs> the same thing. No, I, I read it. I read it all the way through before we moved, and then there's actually a European edition that came out uh, a couple of years later. So I read that because it's it was edited by someone I've met, and they uh, there's a few kind of essays by European church partners in. Um, yeah, so I read that as well. So, yeah, twice, Tim. I've annotated it and everything. Yeah, you're a massive nerd, and it confirms another reason I don't like you. Right, let's finish there. What books have you not finished, Tim? Give me a list. 
<laughs> what books have I not finished? Well, that's a pretty long list. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. What books have you finished? Uh, well, there's the Bible, obviously. Oh, welcome. <laughs> right, let's finish there. Um, uh, yeah, that was uh, contextualization and over-contextualization. We will be back again uh, next week or in a few weeks with more mistakes. We've also got a couple of interviews lined up where we will um, humbly ask other church planners to explain to us the things that they've done wrong as well, which will be good fun. So, yeah, thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And just a reminder, you can find the full notes on everything that was said at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 130. See you next time.